Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Law Chats with John and Amy. I'm John Yulian. And I'm Amy Pliafico. This week's question is, what is a guardian ad litem or a GAL? John actually is a GAL, so we've got um, firsthand knowledge with us today. So this week's episode is going to be a little different. I'll be asking John some questions just to understand what the role of a GAL is and why it's so important in uh, divorce or custody cases. So, John, what is a GAL? In its simplest form, a GAL is an independent third party who has had specific training to be a GAL appointed by the court to look into certain matters that the court needs investigating. For example, I'm a category F GAL. There is also a category E GAL, um, which I I won't get into for our purposes, but my role is to um, look into, for example, questions of custody, parenting time, uh, possible issues of abuse between the parties, investigate those issues and write recommendations for the court if the judge has asked for recommendations. Okay, and how does the GAL get appointed in a case and is there a GAL in every divorce? There is not a GAL in every divorce. The parties can either agree a GAL is required and um, uh, request that from the judge or a judge can decide on his or her own that a GAL is warranted in a particular case and appoint a GAL, as I said, to look into certain issues that the judge wants investigated. And generally a GAL is appointed in a case where the parties can't resolve a fundamental issue regarding custody, at least in divorce cases, is that correct? I think that's a, a fair statement, Amy. And it's, um, it's, it could be custody, could be parenting time, but, um, from the type of situations I'm appointed, they are child-related issues that the parties clearly are not on the same page. And as I said, the judge wants um, a neutral, independent third party, the GAL, to look into and investigate and write a report. Okay, so you're appointed by a judge. What do you do next? What's the process that you follow as a GAL? I am going to get started by reaching out to the parties or their attorneys. Um, I want to be able to speak to the parties first so that I can get a sense of how they perceive the matter, what um, they see as the issues, um, uh, get some of the background on the relationship between the parties and obviously uh, their perspective on the children involved and how the children are doing. But that's um, really where I'm going to start. my investigation. And so then um, do you speak to the kids? Who else are you speaking to besides the two parties in a case? I certainly would want to either speak to the kids or see the kids. And what is relevant there is the age of the child or children involved. I have a 16-year-old child in a case. I'm going to want to speak to that um, child and um, get their perspective on things and and find out how they're doing and get their sense of um, their relationship with the parents and and, um, um, how they're doing overall on a day-to-day basis. Um, When you're talking about a child that's four or three or um, uh, very young, I'm gonna wanna see that child interacting with each of the parents 
but I'm not really going to want to be speaking one-on-one with that child. So someone like that, you're going to like go to a playground to meet them at the playground and see how they are with their parents, maybe talk to them about their favorite movie or superhero, but you're not going to be sitting down and saying, well, th- what time does mom put you to bed? Is that accurate? Uh, th- that's uh, well said, Amy. Okay. Um, and then how do you explain to the child or how should the parents explain to a child who you are and what your role is? Well, I think the important thing is that the parents not try to influence the child or children and um, uh, explain my role and that I'm appointed by the court. And obviously the explanation needs to be age appropriate for the child and that um, the child hopefully can feel comfortable speaking to me as opposed to the parents um, making the child concerned that what they say is dramatically going to alter the parent's involvement in his or her life or their life and suddenly have the child all nervous and uncomfortable speaking openly and honestly to me. And I know you often speak to more than just the family. Who are other people that you may end up speaking to as part of your investigation? Sure. That's a great question, Amy. And um, these are other people who um, are involved in the uh, child or children's lives, which could be their teachers, someone from school who gets to see um, how the child is doing, maybe gets to see uh, the parents on occasion. It could also be um, uh, uh, health professionals, such as the uh, uh, doctor um, for the children or child. Um, it could also be close family or friend who would have uh, friends, excuse me, who would have insight as to uh, the parents and the children and the relationships between them. And then I know other times that you're getting documents and looking at those as part of your investigation. What kind of documents are generally the, the stuff that you look at when you're doing your investigation? Well, certainly if uh, Department of Children and Family Services is are involved, I'd want to see the D- DCF records. Um there are also what they call carry reports, which are once again helpful because they give um, um, the, the you know the criminal background that may be relevant uh, between the parties and relate to uh, uh, any domestic abuse or other uh, concerns based on the criminal history. Um, so those are the type of documents that can be also very beneficial. School records for the children is another example. Okay, so now you've finished your investigation and you need to make a decision about what you're going to recommend, what standard do you use in making that decision? And that's a great question, Amy. I think really what I want to focus on is what's in the best interest of the child or the children. That's the, you know, highest standard that you want to be applying to any case. And and that should um, really um, uh, control, you know, your, your report and ultimately your recommendations. Okay, so what goes into writing that report? What does a report look like? Well, the report's usually um, extensive because what I'm reporting to the court in in, in the report is going to be who I talk to, what uh, I learned from each of my interviews, um, and give an overall assessment of my investigation so the court, the judge can read what I wrote and ultimately understand how I made the recommendations that I made. 
So what kind of recommendations are you making in a report? And obviously, so say it's a custody case, what kind of recommendations do you do you make? Yeah, um, the recommendations I make are going to be specifically tailored to what is requested by the judge. So I'm really um, following the directions I've been given. Um, as you said, if it's concerning um, physical custody, well, my recommendations are going to relate to which parent should have primary physical custody, should there be shared physical custody, if I'm supposed to include recommendations on parenting time. Well, my recommendations are going to get into um, what I think the non-custodial parent should get for parenting time. So I really take my marching orders from the judge as to what the judge wants me to in investigate and uh, write the recommendations on. Okay, and then I think our final question will be, how does a GAL get paid? Well, that's something that uh, means something to me, um, since I, I do like to get paid. And I think a lot well, of people... I mean, it's a lot of work that goes into it. And I think anyone who reads a, a final GAL report will see that. So it's something that people should know going in before they, they start the process. No, and, and it really is a good question. And there's two types of ways um, a GAL can get paid. And one is, one is what they call a state, case, state paid case which is where the court appoints a GAL and the, and the court says the, these parties don't have the financial resources to pay for a GAL. So I'm going to have the, the Commonwealth pay um, the GAL's uh, fees. And in those cases, I'm getting paid a, a hourly rate by the state and I will submit a billing to the state for that. Um, the other way I get paid is what they call private um, pay cases, which is where the court orders the parties to pay the, for the GAL's legal fees and the court can make it that the two parents are going to pay uh, equally or one parent is going to have to pay the whole fee because they are financially much better off than the other and the court will direct how, how um, the GAL is going to get paid by the party. So those are the two ways you can get payment. Anything else about GALs that you think is maybe a, um, a common question or a common misconception that you want to just add in? Um, no, I think the only thing maybe worth pointing out is as a GAL, I'm trying to get a true and accurate assessment of what's going on in everybody's life. So the hope is that I am going to get, um, whether it be the parents, the children, um, I'm going to be able to get everybody to be open and honest um, with their um, uh, discussions and interviews with me so that I can do a uh, beneficial report for the for the judge and um, Hopefully that will benefit the whole family. Um, yeah, just on that general. note, you're not you're not looking for these people to be perfect parents. No one's a perfect parent. You're looking to see what kind of parents they are and how they work together and how they work with the kids, right? It's not like a matter of judging them as parents. I, I agree completely. So that's very well very well said and a good good place to end. All right. Well, thanks for joining Law Chats with John and Amy. We look forward to chatting with you again next time. If you have a question or comment, feel free to email us at info at yulianlaw.com. Remember that Law Chats with John and Amy is intended as a general reference and considered general advertising, and listeners should check for changes to any applicable laws and consult with an attorney on any legal issue. The information provided does not constitute legal advice, and any thoughts or commentary by the podcasting lawyers is provided as a service to the community and does not constitute solicitation of legal advice. The lawyers in the law firm of Yulian Associates PC make no warranties and disclaim all liabilities for damages resulting from its use. Nothing provided in the podcast should be considered a substitute for advice from counsel. 
No attorney-client relationship is formed by listening or participating in this podcast, and in the event that the podcast receives emails about the subject matter, no attorney-client relationship is created via the email communication.